Davi. And hi, my name is Korik. And we're part of a Level 87 book club. Level 87 book club is basically a space where um, avid readers, movie watchers and other media consumers can come and relax, share their nerdy stuff with um, other like-minded people. Please come. We would very much love to have discussions with you and we would enjoy your company. We would love you guys to come along. There's food. We also love food as well. We love to read. We love to watch things. We love general pop culture. Or if you just want to come chat, have a safe space to chill, talk about whatever you want, feel free to come. So, Corey, what have you been reading? Oh, I've been reading this book. Well, been trying to read this book called Foundation and Empire. It's uh, the second book in the Foundation series by Isaac Asimov. And the, generally the series is about this scientist named Harry Seldon who predicts that this, the galaxy, which is one entire galactic human empire, is going to collapse. And he foresees that there'll be 10,000 years of barbarous just reign and destruction. And in an effort to try and limit that, he builds, he builds this planet called the Foundation, which is a giant science nexus of sociologists, historians, chemists, everyone just trying to build the perfect science state. And by doing that, he thinks he can limit the amount of chaos to 1,000 years. So getting rid of 9,000 years of barbarism. Is there any um, obstacles that are coming through to the scientists' way? or? Oh, yeah, there's a whole bunch of things. Like, it, like it, this, is not, this is not really a spoiler, but it starts with him and then, th- then essentially the history of the foundation, which is what the planet is called, um, kind of starts from like, his kind of predictions and then he passes on and then the, kind of, his planet or his foundation continues onwards. So there's, like, there's war, there's pirates, there's cool other stuff. There's a bunch of inter- interesting journeys. Hmm, sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, but as I said, I've been trying to read it. I, I, was, I spent all of the summer looking for the book and I only found it just as my um, university course started and I've gotten through most of it, but because of just the struggles of uni and other stuff, I'm like 90% through it. I'm honestly one night on the couch away from finishing this thing, but like I, I'm responsible. I don't want to get through it straight away and I don't want to guilty read it either. Like I hate guilty reading. Like when you when you're like reading something and you've always got that mind in the back of your head, like a schizophrenic. Like, <laughs> you could be doing work. <laughs> yeah, be, I I understand. Could be writing that <laughs> I understand where you're coming from because <laughs> I too have that sort of thing. But then yeah. I'm that type of person that goes, Nah, you could just do one more chapter and then I'd probably end up finishing the whole book. Instead of having to do my essay. I see. Yeah, I'm that guilty person. The, the devil on your shoulder has more of a voice than the angel. Exactly. Oh, I wish I were you. <laughs> so, what have you been reading? So, I've been reading um, Rupi Call Cows. I can't say her last name. I'm really sorry. Um, I'm reading The Sun and Her Flowers, which is a series of poetry segmented into five different parts. The back of the book says that it is a collection of poetry about grief, self-abandonment, honouring one's roots, love and empowering oneself. And it's split into the five chapters that, as I mentioned, into uh, wilting, falling, rooting, rising and blooming. Wow, that's very interesting. Yeah, I'm just trying to get outside my comfort zone and read different sort of uh, books in a way. I mean... I'm trying to also read shorter stuff because of uni. Well, that's the thing. Like during, say, like during like times where you have to do other things, whether it be like work, school or whatever, like reading short stories is pretty good because sometimes 
Like when you like when I read books, I read them like I like to you know zoom through them like the equivalent of Netflix binging a whole series, mm. and I can't do that during say like a school semester. So reading short stories is a great outlet to do that. Otherwise, then you just feel just lost and just wandering the cosmos without having read anything. It's mm. it's not a good feeling. Yeah. Like what kind of reader are you? The type of reader I am, hmm, I'm the type of reader that likes to read one book at a time. But oh yeah, yeah. Because the thing is, is that even if I do read two books that are different genres, I just can't seem to handle reading them in both equal amounts because I'll end up reading one book more than the other and I'll probably end up reading another book on top of the other book that I should have been finishing off. Uh, Do you get that, like, if you read two books of different genres, you're able to distance the different or disassociate the two kind of worlds and the people and the characters. But if you read two books of the same genre... You're gonna end up mixing names, places, events, and stuff. And you feel, do you feel like those two stories end up intertwining? Yes, it does. I mean, I wouldn't want to confuse characters in different in the different um, settings. So I preferably try to stay away from, uh, how should I say, similar plot-based stories as well as similar genre-based stories as well. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. You want to avoid that. I don't know what to call it, literary psychosis or something. I don't know. Hallucinate. No, not really. It's like just a mixing of stories. Like say if you're reading, I don't know, Harry Potter, right? And you're also reading Lord of the Rings. Then you're like, Harry, Ron, Ron, Sam, Frodo, what are you doing here? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I can see Ron and Sam being the same person. I can't see Frodo and Harry being the same person. Oh, no, no. No. Frodo. (laughs) Frodo. No one can. I love you, Elijah Wood, but Frodo is not a good. Is not one of my favorite characters. I'm really hey, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For to be honest, Frodo's okay. But yeah, but it. I think even Tolkien said himself. I think. Don't quote me on it. I think even Tolkien said that um, Sam was the true hero of the story, rather rather than Frodo. Mm, but that's for another discussion for later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, what are your reading habits? I like you, I prefer to read one or two books at a time. Two maximum. Two is really stretching it. I, I can probably one of the times best. Mm. And I like to read them, honestly, all at once or like as quickly as possible. Like when I start reading a book, there's a golden period where I read a ridiculous amount. And then the amount of effort it takes to read, like to continue reading will kind of grow exponentially. So that's why when I like buy a series or like, um, you know, acquire a new book, I like to just woof all the way through it otherwise then i'll never get it done okay. especially when there's other obligations okay so yeah. i'm gonna ask a weird question because this is what i tend to do mm-hmm. when you get a book and if you are deciding to read a second book do you like mm, assign how many pages or chapters that you read within a day yeah, it depends depends yeah because i yeah. just because for example if i have a 34 chaptered book and then i have a 26 chapter book mm. and then for, i would end up probably if i'm ambitious ha- read 17 chapters in two days for okay. and then another 13 chapters for the 26 one i don't know because depending on the number of pages the book has i also depend on Dividing it by a number and just reading that amount for that's the next committed. Five wow, I w- it worked until I got to year twelve. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Once, once other obligations, yeah, you know, come up, you can't do that. That's but that's the thing. Well, I I personally read like mostly on public transport and stuff. I used to get car sick, but buses don't apply for some reason. I don't know. Like I get car sick horrendously if I try and read something. But then when I'm reading on the bus or train, my brain's like, no, this is okay, Corey. You can read in a crowded environment with people coughing around you, but you know, <laughs> in a car where it's comfortable and you're in your own space, no, you can't do it. I can deal with doing it on the train. I can somewhat manage doing it on a plane, but I just I think I can see why I can't do it with like buses or tra- or cars because they bumpy and it's oh, not like it's yeah. not a smooth sort of transition sort of thing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. No, but when reading on public transport, I feel like I just um, go, th- I just, I start reading. I don't have a set goal. And then when I, I'm like five minutes away or when I know I'm going to have to get off soon, I'm just like, okay, what, what, where should I stop? Where should I stop? And I just spend the whole five minutes kind of stressing, stress reading, kind of thinking of where to stop. Really? In the end, I end up rereading that last, those last kind of bit anyway. But yeah, it, it, it's, it's not a healthy habit, but it's what I do. I you know, know. No one's perfect. I mean, by the time I just get to my train station, I just kind of put my bookmark in my book and close it. Put it in my yeah, how could you just, you know, cut it off at a random spot? That's, no, that's no, no, savage. No, 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 no. I don't cut it off at a random spot. I stop at the sentence and then I just read the whole page. At again. the sentence? Yeah. But, okay. Like I said, we both have re- different reading habits. Other people have different reading habits. You can't say... You can't. No, I understand. I understand. I'm just thinking, like, ah, oh, I couldn't. I couldn't do that. I, I, I would go crazy. I'd, I'd want to finish Unless, the paragraph. I'd want to finish know. the scene. Unless or, you're that type of person that likes to stop at a chapter before they. Oh, ideally, you'd want to stop at a chapter. I'd think it is, but sometimes you can't have that time know, to I just know. finish. No one, you know, yeah, you don't have the luxury sometimes to stop at a chapter. Like, uh, yeah, everyone would love to stop at a chapter, but you know. I don't know. I mean. Because I have all of the Lord of the Rings books in one book. Oh, yeah, me too. So I'm just like having to carry that hefty book and I'm just having to read through the pages and it's just like, I had to stop somewhere, but I don't know where. Mm. Considering that it's a big book. Yes, yes, it's a tome. So, Back to what you've been reading. You sure? You didn't talk about it enough. I don't know You're how listening. to explain it because it's just... Something for me to read. I mean, I understand that there are some motivating words that uh, Rupi writes. Um, her poems are beautiful. Mm-hmm. The little illustrations that she puts, they're, they're quite cute. Okay. Like, well, 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 you say it's like something that's out of the ordinary for you. What kind of books do you normally read? I normally tend to read novels such as young adult novels, fantasy Sometimes sci-fi, but not a lot of sci-fi. Well, do you read out of your comfort zone much? I wish to do it more often so then I can see different perspectives. So I would like to go more depth into depth about science fiction. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, I really want to try reading some classics such as, you know, Pride and Prejudice, Jane Austen, um, The Tale of Two Cities, mm. that sort of thing. On the same vein, how do you find new books? I find new books by going online, following my author favorite authors on social media, following bookstagrammers and book YouTubers. Bookstagrammers? Yeah. Again, I live in a cave. Honestly, I, <laughs> as I may have mentioned, I live in a cave and everything flies over my head. And I, I'm, I'm like a grandpa sometimes, honestly. Yes, Grandfather Cork. And... <laughs> 
<laughs> so basically, bookstagrammers are people who do the book reviews on Instagram. And that's the same thing with book YouTubers who do the same thing. Just just a heads up. I knew I could figure what bookstagrammers was. I just didn't know it was existed. I knew it kind of had something to do with Instagram. I know what Instagram is. Just, you know, just making pe- sure people know I'm under the age of 50. <laughs> okay. Uh, I also use a website called Goodreads, which is a website where you can write reviews, um, keep track on what you're reading and keep track on what you want to read. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's where I get most of my info from. Okay. And how do you get your book info? Um, Honestly, as I said, as someone who lives in a cave that's like isolated from the world, not literally, just metaphorically. Uh, it's usually just from going to other people's, well, other people's, li- going through other people's libraries and just seeing what they have and if they ever, like, recommend it or say, oh, that's a good book, I just pick it up and have a look at it. Like, I rarely just go out and, and just see a book or just pick it up out of nowhere. Like, I'm I'm too, I'm too, I don't know, scared to really take that gamble. Oh, uh, so not willing to take a risk at some point. So you like to have some background context in before you read a book? Or? Not that. It's like, honestly, because when I read a book, I don't know, any, I usually don't know anything about the author or the context. So like I pick it up, you know, read it and then like be like, oh, okay. And then I do some research about it. I'm like, oh, okay. And then I read it again. And then it's like a whole new experience. It's kind of great, actually. Mm. But with the with the kind of, um you know, friend endorsement or like someone saying it's a good book, it's usually, it's it's basically like an assurance that the book will be somewhat interesting mm-hmm. like i'm too scared to really pick something up out of nowhere and just you know or, or reach into the void and just read anything but that's that that's not that that says something that, that says more about me as a reader rather than like what you what you should be doing everyone should just you know read whatever you want if something interests you go try it there's no harm in trying something new well everyone has different reading habits and um how they like to do their things book related Mm. I mean, I know that there are some guilty people that like to dog ear. I won't, I won't call you out, but you do you. Oh, dog earing books. I don't know. It's just <laughs> that, 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 yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I never do it, so I don't see it. Actually, to be actually, it. I'm quite hypocritical. I only do it when I do it to books that I don't like. That's me. <laughs> I do that. <laughs> Someone else's work. But then again, to someone who normally dog is, it just might seem normal. Mm. But I don't, I don't see any problem with it because I always read paperbacks. So I don't thin, know. Thin I, papers anyway. Thin I'm pages. very fussy with my books. I like them to be neat and prist- in like pristine condition. I always buy like the secondhand books because when I'm buying like my sci- my little old 80s and 80s sci-fi and fantasy books, I always like the, the cool, you know, pinky purple ethereal colors. It feels like a trip sometimes. Oh, unfortunately for me, I'm the type of person that just cringes whenever I see a wrinkle at the front cover. Really? Okay. I like like buying my books worn and pre-loved. Well, it really depends on the book that I buy because there are (laughs) books that I consider, like my favorite series, I will not buy any wrinkled condition of that series. And if it's a, you know, like an old classic, like Ed and Blyden, I would I wouldn't mind buying a secondhand book, but I'd probably prefer it to be in pristine condition. Wow. <laughs> You're a book diva, jeez. I know. I'm very picky with my books on how it must be presented and how the content should be. Don't come to my shelf. 
just, just don't don't ever come and look at my shelf. You you'll die. I don't know. <laughs> I can deal with other people's libraries. I just I just have to make sure if anyone's borrowing a book from me, I have to I give them like a set of rules. Mm. No, but okay, l- let's make this clear. It's one thing to read a book, you know, dog ear it, tear it, mark it, and, and destroy it. But it's another thing to, you know, just to, you know, have the book and see that it's well loved. You know, a few creases here and there, maybe like a, a kind of an imprint where a bookmark may have been. And, and that's, that's the kind of show of love that I'm talking about. Not destroying a book or tearing it apart. Yeah, I understand that. I mean, everyone shows a different sort of love towards their books. <laughs> just to clarify, I was clutching my, my, my book like a teddy bear. Oh, isn't that cute? <laughs> Grandpa Cork. <laughs> Okay, so Joe Hatcher, Maribyrnong Council's Gender Equity Officer, and Sue Bernard, Council's Children's Librarian, have recently developed a new resource to assist parents and child carers in challenging culturally ingrained ideas about appropriate behaviours for females and males. The resource is a recommended list of children's books that challenge gender stereotypes and present alternative norms in their stories. So... Um, we have a little library in level 87 book club. So Korok and I decided to just scavenge through the shelves to find some childhood books. Childhood memories of our own, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And we have selected two. The first one is Dr. Seuss's Oh, The Places You'll Go. And the second book is Fisted Chicken Goes to Paris by Leigh Hobbs. Leigh Lay Hobbs. I hope this person does not hear this and we're saying Le- their name wrong. Leigh Le Hobbs, if we've mispronounced your name, feel free to give us a message. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in regards to how this book is challenging gender stereotypes, how can we see it in this book? The resource suggests four or poses four questions to um, ask when if books are either uh, portray gender in a positive manner. Are they both female and male characters in prominent roles? Does the story challenge gender roles? Do female and male characters in the story have the same opportunities? And when characters have stereotypical qualities or interests, is this portrayed as something normal and is it welcomed? So we're going to talk about the Dr. Seuss book first and see if it fulfills these four categories. Okay. What did you think, Darby? Well, majority of the book, we see a male character, but it's a child. And we do see some female characters, but they're more of a background sort of based. Exactly. Like the males are, as you said, the males are protagonists, which I don't think in itself is a bad thing, which is fine. It's fine. It's going to be one or the other and that's going to have some connotation either way. You can't change that. But as you said, there aren't any real female characters in the book. Because Because it's generally based. Because the thing is, this story isn't, it doesn't have any narrative sort of context, but it has a sort of message, a positive message to uplift someone's. Uh, yeah, we yeah, well, we forgot to exactly kind of you know describe what the book is about. The, the, the main point of you know a story, it, it's about something. Ew. <laughs> well, it's. I feel like it's a very kind of. It's a very positive book it has a lot of positive affirmations about life about you know going somewhere doing things it's telling you you know to seize the moment um enjoy life don't wait around for something sorry you said seize the moment and now i'm just thinking of the coco reference that you said there 
I have not I, again. I, I have know not seen you have Pogo. not seen it yet. I live, I live in my little cave. I know, but because I live in a world outside of your rock, <laughs> I can understand some references. And when you say something, I'm just going to sit there in silence, and be like, ah, it's from there. Yeah, every time I make an accidental reference, you should just yeah, you should, you should make a note of it. Yeah, that's yeah, it'll be fun. <laughs> but yes, this book. Uh, well, this story does not challenge gender roles. No, I don't think either. No. The protagonist is a male, which in, in inherently it's not bad. Like the gender of the protagonist is going to be either masculine or feminine. So it's going to be male or it'll be male or female or it could be a gender neutral animal. But, you know, if it's going to be a human, it'll either be it'll it'll portray some gender or some some um, role. But the thing is, is that in within this narrative, I shouldn't say narrative, it's more of like a story sort of message thing, but it references the reader as a guy. Exactly, exactly. So we're not sure if it, because it's an interpretation of who is reading the story. Yeah. And because we're just seeing as this example of guy as the character being portrayed for the message as a male. That's hmm. how we're seeing it. Like generally, as a guy, I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't even think about it. I wouldn't even have a second thought about it. But then now that you look at it, now that I look at it, I just see it says here, and you are the guy who'll decide where to go. And the places they go to are all filled with men, all men playing trumpets, all men flying hot air balloons, all, all these other guys having fun. And the only time you see women in the book or other females... Is when during the waiting place, people are waiting, you know, waiting for their big break, waiting for their their moment in life, and th- so it's kind of I don't know if it says anything, but it's a bit. It's not doesn't portray gender in an equal way because the women are, are still are there waiting for the big break. They're not living life, whereas all the men are having fun and stuff. Although I don't think it's intended to portray it that way. It's yeah. sadly what it's done. And do female. Male characters in the story have the same opportunities? No, they don't. Yeah, uh, so as as we were saying, yeah, they don't have the same opportunities because the all the men are, all the male characters are having, well, living their life, they're going places. And to be fair, Dr. Seuss's illustrations, they, uh, how should I say, they don't depict on what gender it actually is because, I mean, we saw the elephants and we, we see many creatures. Exactly. So yeah. we don't know their actual gender. So That's the thing. That we have to yeah. imply in a way. Yeah, usually most of these characters have some that kind of implication. Mm-hmm. But in this one, there's there's a lot of humans, which is, usually, which is, which is quite rare for Dr. Seuss. And it's a shame that this book isn't filled with more, well, the protagonists and the other people aren't gender neutral monsters. Or not monsters, but creatures. creatures. Yeah. Like yeah. most of his other stories. Mm. So we're done with Dr. Seuss. Yeah, so what is your consensus, Darby? Mm, I would say that this book, uh, it's got a very positive message in regards to how people should have an outlook in life. However, uh, I don't know, because the gender stereotypes in this book, it's not present. But, oh, I really don't know what to say about this. What do you think? Well, if you're talking about gender, like masculinity and femininity, I'd say that the what the 
protagonist is doing isn't necessarily masculine. Mm. But the fact that it's just him and other dudes having doing all these things while the only women depicted in the book are just there waiting for their big break shows that it's not it it, it doesn't kind of portray genders or like male, males and females in the same light which is so the disheartening equal- yeah so he- what you're saying is that this book doesn't seem to portray the equality opportunities no. for both genders yeah so it's like oh the places you'll go if you're a guy that's true so the next book we have is mr, mr. Chicken, chicken goes, goes to, to paris, paris. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair to be honest i was very hungry at the time when i just saw this and i'm like uh i would very much like some roast chicken right now yes roast. Oh, uh, one thing that people should know about book club level 87 book club is that food is always plays a always plays a very big part it's a very it's a very yeah. significant sort of thing that bonds all of the members here mm. it, it binds us all together like sugar and cookie dough yep butter and cookie dough sugar and butter and just it, it binds us all together like cookie dough yep we're all chalk chips in our <laughs> cookie dough of a place all right so the whole synopsis of mr chicken goes to paris is literally a creature that is a chicken called Mr. Chicken. Arguably a chicken. <laughs> but chickens don't have fangs. And chickens don't or, have big noses and a top hat. And But we we appreciate chickens. No, all chickens are beautiful, regardless of shape, form. And taste. And, and taste. And taste. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm Literally speaking. <laughs> I'm so sorry to any vegetarians or vegans listening to this. But we are not going to eat Mr. Chicken, Darby. What are you implying? <laughs> So the main characters within Mr. Chicken is actually Mr. Chicken and a friend that he meets, which is a little girl. Called? I don't think she has a name. She does have a name. You sure? Oh, Yvette. Yvette? 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 Yeah, Yvette. Yvette? 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 Yvette. Okay. Yeah. Our, Our name game is weak today, isn't it? I don't know. I'm terrible at names can't pronounce anything today well <laughs> as someone with a often mispronounced name i just i feel like it's i don't know i feel hypocritical right now i said wizard once in front of a few people and they and i tell them that i'm a harry potter fan and i say wizard wizard oh, i was in wizard yeah oh. yeah <laughs> and you think that i have a game on pronunciation to not- be fair though if you're gonna read some book with interesting name or like non-common words or names and you've only ever read the, those words, you, you're not going to know how they sound. So English isn't a perfectly phonetic language. You're never going to know. Like you might just mispronounce some weird words. Like as a kid, I would commonly mispronounce words all the time because I'd read them but never like say them out loud. It, it's, it was kind of embarrassing actually. Mm-hmm. That's why I kept quiet until I was five. <laughs> no. But in regards to the criteria that we're looking at, there are both male and female um, prominent roles. Yeah. Because one, Mr. Chicken is the male because Mr. Chicken. Mr. Chicken, yeah. Mr. Chicken. Um, because he is going to Paris and the female prominent role is his friend Yvette who is his somewhat tour guide because mm-hmm. she takes him to all the places that is well known in Paris. And the story doesn't necessarily challenge any gender roles, I don't think. No, it doesn't really. I mean, it just gives a, how should I say it? The female role more, mm, a perspective like, oh, look, this is where I'm taking you and all that stuff. It's She's the one leading the... Yeah, thing, she's yeah. the one leading the uh, 
conversation or yeah, but that's not necessarily. I feel like it's not too uncommon. It's just a tour guide. Nothing. I know, but she's not leading. You know, the know. world or something. Yeah, I know. But now yeah. I'm just now I'm just suddenly thinking of the female stewardess. I'm just like, oh, this is where you can be to it here, and I'm like, I don't know why I'm thinking of that. I don't or like know. on airplanes and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just thinking suddenly of Barbie stewardess. Oh, from Toy Story. <laughs> yes, I got that. See, I don't live under a rock. <laughs> Good. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> mm. yes. You and your Disney. Uh, Disney Pixar and all that. Oh, I can just Ooh. I can just bask in all that childish glory. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll it'll all fly over my head. Yeah, and then unless I just kind of drag you into it. Oh, I'll try. I'll try. Okay. All right. But do any of the characters have any non-stereotypical qualities or interests or anything out of the blue? And is it? And I don't think. Well, what do you think, Darby? Uh, non-stereotypical, but the thing is, is that we can't say anything about non-stereotypical about Mr. Chicken because... Yeah, he's not exactly <laughs> the, you know, your, your bloke from across the street. is. <laughs> no. He's definitely an anomaly. <laughs> I love that about the book as well. Like, he's just acting all normal and everyone around him is flabbergasted that there's a giant chicken with fangs in the top hat walk roaming around Paris. Yep, that is true. But the thing is, is that Yvette, she's typically portrayed wearing a dress and a red hair ribbon, which is a ter- stereoty- stereotypical thing that you find in a girl. Mm-hmm. Very true. So I wouldn't say that it challenges or is a non-stereotypical quality. But I don't think it's inherently reinforcing anything. Else, no. In particular. she wears a, I think from what I remember, she was wearing a striped dress. Yeah. And yeah, stripes exactly. aren't stripes aren't girly. They're just the pattern that everyone likes to wear. True, but I think because it's not challenging anything, like it's it's a very kind of kind of not conservative, but you know, just very kind of status quo sort of portrayal of gender and um, just people in general. That it's you can't really say anything about it in regards to that. Yeah. So, do you give this book a yay or a nay in terms of this? Yay. Yay. <laughs> I'd give it a nay only because it doesn't challenge anything. And mm. although it is, I guess, a positive portrayal of just people, because yeah, yeah it's it's not, it's not anything progressive or anything out of the ordinary. True, I probably would have said nay now, but oh no, 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 don't. <laughs> let me what do you think? Because the thing is, I'll say yay because the story <laughs> is just typically about Mister Chicken mm. going to Paris. But now, just remembering that we need to put the criteria about challenging stereotypes and this book would have been a no at some point because it doesn't say anything about how girls can be empowering. Oh, I can't say what's right. <laughs> or how men can be sensitive and frail in such a True. way. Well, you know, when Mr. Chicken got lost, he was pretty sensitive. He forgot his French. He was getting all anxious. But again, that's just a neutral, that's just a response from anyone who's ever lost. In a foreign country, yeah. Yeah. It's, as I said, nothing out of the ordinary. If he started bawling in the middle of France, then yes, that would have been something that... Oh, but getting lost in the... Oh, that's the thing. It depends on where you get lost. If you get lost in a pretty safe country, you'd almost, it'd almost be a fun experience, but... Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and getting lost in Vietnam is not the ideal thing then. Oh, no, I wouldn't get lost in like Siberia or something. Oh, like no. in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the tundra. That would be scary. I'd be bawling. I'd yeah. probably eaten. <laughs> So Level 87 Book Club, in an effort to recruit more members, has um, gone around to various local schools to um, 
you know, give us our give our spiel, have some debates with kids, talk about how they what they're reading, and you know, just g- giving giving kids the level eighty seven experience. One of our discussions we had: should superhero stories be classified as science fiction? Well, as someone who loves science fiction in the more more classical sense, and as, as you, Darby, I know you love superheroes, don't you? Well, Marvel and DC, Marvel, all superhero and, movies, you know, yeah, just basically Marvel DC. But I know you don't have. The biggest interest in superheroes? It's not that. It's just I'm not bas- I'm not. I'm not on the band. The modern, well, the current bandwagon of um, you know, superhero movies that have come out. Mm, but you still wouldn't watch them. Hey, I've got. I like my superhero movie. Or some of them. Some of some them. Of them. I've seen like the the old Batman with Adam West. Wow, <laughs> that's cool. Okay, well then, would you classify that superheroes are a science fiction thing? Not really. Why would you say that in a sense? Like science fiction has to... Well, then, okay, how would you classify science fiction firstly? Mm, everyone has different perspectives on what science fiction is. But exactly. when everyone thinks of science fiction, they immediately probably think of advanced technology, um, advanced medicines, a probably a postmodern world in a way. Mm. But I wouldn't say postmodern, but in a world that's kind of like in between becoming new and between coming just dis- becoming destroyed you get what i'm oh, saying oh so you're saying like it, an apocalypse always has to be around the corner i think so something like that because Jeez, you have a very pessimistic view on science fiction but that could actually be true though because if you think about it some of the more popular notions of science fiction such as 1984 what's well, a classical one 1984 <laughs> Uh, foundation, the book I'm reading. Yeah, all talk about um, kind of. Well, 1984 has the perpetual war going on with um, Eurasia and those um, other possibly imagined states, and the foundation yeah. talks about the collapse of the galaxy. So, I guess you could say apocalypse is always around the corner. Yeah, in that sort of way. I mean, all people would also think space, but otherwise, it's just generally further advancements to the modern world that we know today. It's just more advanced from what i know okay so it always has to be a it always has to be a uh, futuristic approach a futuristic setting yeah yeah in a way so the thing is with being superheroes nowadays is that some superheroes are people that actually have gained their powers through um scientific modifications such as um, biological engineering. <laughs> engineering. I don't know. I'm I'm not a scientist. I think I know. I think I know what you're trying to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But for example, because I'm gonna be using a lot of Marvel DC um, examples, because I'm a huge nerd. Of course. Of course. <laughs> exa- what else would you use? Yeah. Uh, well, for example, the Hulk uses a um, serum to biologically change his. Um, system so i don't know how he suddenly whenever he gets angry he turns into the hulk and he skin turns green he turns big and then yeah and then with uh iron man he was able to invent technology not just to benefit people but to uh create a suit but like i personally feel like science fiction well at least classical science fiction always has some kind of ethical or always poses some kind of ethical argument or dilemma or some kind of um, sociological sort of scenario. Mm. In like, well, look, 
I grew up with Star Trek and yes, yeah. well, the, the next generation Star Trek, not not Captain Kirk beating up and um, you know kissing every alien around the corner. I don't think you should mention that to me because I have not seen Star Trek except for Star Trek Discovery. Oh no, that's fine. That's fine. See, see, something that you haven't haven't seen for once. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> but anyway, as I said, I, I've seen Star Trek: The Next Generation, and like those episodes always have some kind of allegory or ethical kind of question. So it would be something yeah. that questions the person's morals. Or? Well, I'm just saying that's the kind of quote unquote sci-fi that I grew up with. So I feel I personally feel like for something to be science fiction, it has to have some kind of mess. Well, not message, but um, kind of dilemma or pose a a sort of question to the Mm, audience. But wouldn't superhero movies also impose a question? (laughs) Wait, I'm trying to think of a superhero movie that has a dilemma. Yeah, that's the thing. They they kind of fall... A lot of them fall under action movies or other sort of things. I feel like they're just more, you know, cool. You watch them for the effects and for the cool story and the relationship between the characters, which is something you don't really watch or read science fiction for most of the time. Mm, but it really depends on the individual themselves because the thing is is that I perceive science fiction as a genre that depicts various sort of advancements in our modern world Mm -hmm. and that the characters that are living within that world are facing their dilemmas of their own. I see what you mean. Okay. Yeah. So you're seeing it as like a modern world with something on top, right? Yes. As opposed to – see, I – most of the time – when, well, because I read a lot of older science fiction, so I kind of see it a lot of the time. A lot of the time, as a different world entirely, or just you know, give it a grain of salt when it comes to technological predictions. Mm-hmm. For example, with um, the Foundation series, they have they use rolls of film to transmit videos and stuff. They they send like little balls of metal with film inside to like send videos, which is kind of it. It, it seems ridiculous now, but it, it like at the time, I guess it would have sort of made sense, even though radio communication wasn't like unheard of or obviously but I also feel like the aesthetic the kind of aesthetic that these kind of sci-fi has has been kind of done already like with Star Wars like yeah yeah. because I mean Star Wars and Star Trek are a bit similar but otherwise they have they both share a futuristic sort of thing with the technology yeah uh, I would disagree with you, but yeah, right. I know, but okay. I don't think I should get onto this not knowing that I still haven't watched the rest of the Star Wars series. Aha, aha! That's now we've come across things that you haven't seen. Please don't kill me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm catching up slowly. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> this is a safe space for not having read things or not having seen things, because that means more things for people to recommend you and excite you with. Yeah. But uh, yeah, as we were saying. I personally think Star Wars, aesthetically speaking, has the look of, um, of 80s or like oh, classic sci-fi in terms of like space opera and other things in a way in a way that's interesting and and non Buck Rogers with like you know sleek suits and stuff, which is kind of I feel overdone in science fiction a lot of the time. And nowadays they make it slightly dirtier, but people still wear those metal suits and the plastic kind of. Um, and metallic sort of wear that a lot of sci-fi is associated with, and I think that's why that's why Star Wars is considered a sci-fi, even though I don't think so. It's just something in space, personally. That's what most people would perceive anyway, because science yeah. fiction is a typical. Um, the typical setting of science fiction is generally galaxies and space, futuristic worlds and such. 
Yeah, but replace the spaceships with like sailing ships and they're going across different islands and replace the guns with actual guns. It's it's basically just a fantasy world. It's not it, it's it not, is. Yeah. Nothing in it makes it a sci-fi other than just the space and the the objects they use. Are there any superhero movies that you consider sci-fi. science fiction? Well, to be honest, no, now that I think of it because of this discussion. Though they do have scientific elements that could be referred to as a science fiction sort of thing. I necessarily don't think that it is a sci-fi thing now that I don't know because the thing is... If I talk about Guardians of the Galaxy, it's set <laughs> in space, it's got futuristic things, and then people are probably going to be saying, oh, it's probably a sci-fi thing. Don't get me wrong, it's a, it's a cool bunch of movies. I don't know, because the thing is, with Black Panther, Wakanda is really ele- digitally advanced with how they've used force, or not, not force fields, but they used ways to hide their um, city, and they have inventions that... Not even Tony Stark could have used. Yeah. So I'm just waiting for Shuri and Tony Stark to meet because I can't wait. Okay. Again, haven't seen the movie. I don't. But the premise, I feel like the premise seems quite science fiction. Like a, a society has been hiding out from the rest of the world and it's quite advanced and now it's revealed itself. Is that basically the premise? Basically, that's it. Yeah. That, that sounds quite science fiction. That, quite, that sounds very sci-fi. So I would, I'd give it that. Yeah. Yeah. It depends on the element of how the superhero is created. We all know that Captain America, Tony Stark, the Hulk, yeah. <laughs> and villains such as Bucky Barnes and all that, they're all modified by science. Whereas, for example, we have Thor, Hela, Loki, and they're people that are from mythology. Okay. So a sort of fantasy-based sort of thing. Yeah. No, but I, as I said, I disagree with you, but it doesn't mean we don't, we can't be friends. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Like, I feel like every, it needs to put, like, things need to pose a sociological, moral, or, or even historical dilemma or question to the audience in order to be classified as science fiction. For example, the last science fiction, well, movie that I think is science fiction that I absolutely loved and I, and I think is a classical case of uh, science fiction, is The Arrival. I still haven't watched it. Oh, it, it's, it's <laughs> amazing. It's about these scientists that they, um, they encounter alien life and they try and communicate with them. Oh, is yeah. it a horror movie? No, no, no. Okay, good. Because yeah. <laughs> I don't like watching horror movies. It's pretty profound if you, if you watch it. Okay. Yeah. It almost feels like a Star Trek episode. Again, back to my science fiction roots. But yeah. yeah, that's good. At least you have more science fiction and I have just fantasy in me. Oh, we can do a book swap Yay. or a show swap and everything swap. And so this is Darby. Oh, and this is Corrick. <laughs> and we are part of Level 87 Book Club. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And we hope we will see you soon. If you'd like to come to Level 87 Book Club, we are open Wednesdays from 3.30 to... 5.30? The time isn't concrete, but it's usually 5 to 5.30 is when we end. And we're in 100-story building located in Nicholson Street, Footscray. We hope to see you soon. There will always be snacks and you're always welcome. 
and you'll be having lots of conversations that will probably be very weird but very enjoyable. Feel free to bring any books, movies or other cool things that you want to share with everyone else. Bye! Bye! <laughs> Hello, my name is Darby. And my name is Corrick. And we are part of Level 87 Book Club. <laughs> oh yeah, okay, again, again. Okay. Yeah, one job, Cork. One job. Oh, wait. <laughs> Can I start? Okay, fine. Hang on. Okay, so I'm saying hello, my introduction, then you, then I say, and we're a part of Level 87 Book Club, and then you go into what a little bit of Eastern Book Club is. Okay, yep, 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 okay. Like last time. Yes. Mm. Hello, my name is Darby. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my name is Darby. And my name is Corrick. And we're part of Level 87 Book Club. <laughs> wait, wait. God damn it. I haven't finished. You gotta, you gotta let me get rid of it all. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> we're keeping that as a. <laughs> oh my god, you done? <laughs> get out of me. Them laughter. <sighs> Hello, my name Hang is. Hang on. <laughs> Saying okay twice doesn't mean I'm ready. Okay, okay. I'm still hyping myself up. Okay. Okay, okay. No, it doesn't mean go. All right. Hello, my name is Darby.